Yo, welcome back or welcome to the Manchild podcast, the podcast about struggling on purpose. Everything that is worthwhile is worth our time, our effort, our energy is hard. It's difficult. It's a struggle. And as long as we're pursuing things that make us light up and feel alive, that's struggling well. So welcome, guys. I Listen, I'm so jacked up about this episode of the podcast. Um, I don't want to say it's my favorite one because I've, I've really liked everybody we've had. And we've had some incredible guests and generous with their time. But there is some stuff that you've got to get out of this episode and apply it to your life today, immediately. To your, to your relationships, to your parenting skills, to the way you wake up in the morning and think you've got to get this down. My guest, Micah Fink, is the CEO of Heroes and Horses. What the heck is that? Heroes and Horses is a veteran reentry program when guys get back. Combat veterans facing PTSD, they're, they're, they're really, really struggling. Uh, he is purposing them, not repurposing them, but putting them to purpose on his ranch in Montana with some really gnarly, rugged work and the results that he is seeing and the way that he is going about helping these people as they come back after had serving our country and running into a, the 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 hell on earth that is their their post traumatic stress disorders their their excessive prescriptions uh, he is seeing results that people haven't seen yet with this clientele and the and the 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 main points the 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 things that he's trying to hammer home it's not only applicable to veterans it's everybody. It's the way, and we got to rethink some stuff. And he talks about that. We've got to rethink labels. Just because someone says you have PTSD or ADHD or ADD, that now is who you are and it becomes your identity. We talk about excessive prescriptions and drug use. We talk about work and how we're trying to make things easy so easy for our kids that we're, we're helping them to death. And that's a quote that you guys got to hear. Guys, you're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. You've got to listen. So whether it's in your drive, on your car, you're working out, it's in your headphones, just write some notes down as you go. If you like what we're doing with Manchild, this is a movement Okay, this isn't a brand. This isn't a ploy. Yeah, we're selling shirts and I want you guys to we love for you to to buy some of the stuff we're trying to put out. But it's a movement. It's a thought process. And we want people to jump on board because guys, the the stakes are too high to get this wrong from here on out with with the way we live with our kids, the way we treat our wives, the way we treat our husbands, the way we look at our work, the way we look at our jobs, the way we want to please and help people. This is this is what man child's all about. All right. Men got to be men. Women got to be women. And we've got to treat each other 
Well, we've got to call each other out, call each other the carpet, all right, and and pull out the best versions of ourselves. That's what iron sharpens iron means. I know that that verse gets thrown around a lot, but that's what we're here to do. Um, Without it taking any more of your time, let's get into this talk, all right? And listen, if you like it, share it. All right, post the link. Go to themanchildmedia.com and 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 let us know about it. Leave a comment, share it on social media, share it on Instagram, put it in your stories, put it in Facebook because you are part of this. This isn't some dude's thing that he's trying to grow. We you make this happen. All right? Let's go. What you know about me? guest is Micah Fink. He is the CEO of Heroes and Horses, this organization. If you're not aware of what it is, you need to check it out. They are doing some incredible, incredible work with our combat veterans coming back. Micah, thank you for being on the Man Child Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got to this point and how you started this and, and, and all of that. So if you can give me a little bit of background. Well, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I guess my, my kind of tagline, which some people hear me say often is, and I don't know a better way to say it, but you know, I was, uh, um, you know, I was on a telephone pole in Queens, New York, when the first plane hit the world trade center on nine 11. And, uh, you know, I was a kid that grew up in upstate New York. I, uh, you know, started working at a young age on a, you know, a dairy farm and then eventually got into line work. And, you know, I, I've worked and, and grew up in a very rural area my whole life. And, um, you know, here I never thought about joining the military. I didn't, you know, I didn't play Joe military. I didn't really come from a military family. And my grandfather was a World War II Korea vet. Um, and um, so I would say he did have an influence on me joining the Navy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, here I am, you know, a young kid working 60 feet up in the air on a, on an electrical pole over the railroad and, and these planes impact the world trade center. And I ended up going, uh, you know, most people's stories about are about how they got out of New York city. And my story really is about how I got into New York city. And, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, parking down there at Cherry on Montgomery street and, um, I was there when the Citibank tower fell. I got you know buried for hours in the dust and found a you know a fallen police officer. I uh, found you know body parts, and it was an experience that transformed my view of the world. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but there was a pivotal point where I decided that it would be to join the military. So I, um, you know, I ended up becoming a Navy SEAL. I didn't know what the Navy SEALs were. I was no, you know, big time high school athlete or, you know, all-star football player or anything. I, uh, you know, I boxed and for all intents and purposes, I was, you know, I'm a hunter and a fisherman. And, and, um, so I show up there and I get pulled out of line by the Navy recruiter and, uh, and he says, what are you doing? I said, I want to join the army Rangers. He says, why do you want to do that? I said, cause they're the best. And he said, they're not the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. And he's like, you ever heard of the Navy SEALs? I was like, no. And he brought me in there and he showed me a VHS of, uh, you know, dudes jumping out of airplanes and, you know, big muscles and machine guns. And I was like, whoa. And he's like, you want to do that? And I was like, sure. 
Like I, I didn't know what really, what it entailed. And, um, you know, I ended up graduating, uh, 13 original guys out of my, my buds class and, uh, out of 157 guys. And I went on to serve my country, um, as a seal and then went into, you know, got out and then went into the reserves and then eventually, uh, you know, was in a paramilitary unit, uh, for one of the clandestine services for, for four, over four years. And, uh, you know, I got out and that's when, um, you know, kind of life started to unravel a little bit. All right. So before we get to like your back and you don't know how to kind of get back into society, that's not an, uh, an average response to the tragedy of the world trade center, right? Like, I mean, I watched them fall and I did not drive to Manhattan and jump in. So there's something different about the way you perceive events to put yours like, well, I got to do something. And you, so how, where does that come from? Do, or do you have a, uh, a pulse on maybe, you know, why did you decide to react like that to begin with? Well, I, I think I think it's best said by a quote that, you know, there's no um, there's no extraordinary people. There's only ordinary people put in extraordinary situations. And you know, I was put in an extraordinary situation and I, I could have made the choice to just you know go back to the warehouse and lay low and then go home and be like everybody else. But, you know, I, I was I, and I, I really I don't know if it's by you know design or how I was born, but I never wanted to be the victim of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, always, uh, always. I've always seen a way out, like no matter what the situation or circumstance. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I boxed a lot on and off in my life, um, you know, just on and off through my whole life. I still box to this day. And I think one thing that teaches you a lot of constitution as a person, um, you know, I, I didn't have an easy life. I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't grow up. My parents weren't rich. And, you know, when, when I was a kid, you know, we, we all lived in the same bedroom uh, of my house. Well, you know, was un- uninhabitable. Uh, you know, we, I grew up, I grew up, uh, you know, I had a great, great childhood and I had a great life, but I didn't grow up with a lot of, you know, resources. And, you know, I, my dad was a very tough guy and, you know, they taught me, you know, never quit, never give up, always work, you know, your work will make room for you in life. And, and so I think that probably from my upbringing and, you know, from the influence of my, my parents and then just, you know, the, going to the food bank and, you know, struggling and, watching my parents, you know, make it, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't like that my whole life, but, um, you know, they really shot, they really showed me about the power of working from the ground up and, and how it, it really makes you a better person. So those, those struggles in life, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn my childhood for all the difficulties that we had. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world because people that have had, a, had a really easy life usually suck. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, and, um, it's just true. Like people that have had, Absolutely. you know, if you want to talk about Martin Luther King or Muhammad Ali, or you want to talk about George Washington or, or Abraham Lincoln, they've all had really tough, challenging lives. And, and it really revealed who they were as individuals. Um, so, but most of the time people become victims, you know, they spend their whole life talking about all the things they didn't have and all the opportunities that they didn't have, not realizing that the opportunities that they look are looking for are in the challenges that they're facing. Hmm. Um, that's a real knowledge of self, which you can't find out without facing adversity. So, you know, to go back and process and think about why I made that decision, I would have to say it was, um, 
it was really, really came from my upbringing and, and ultimately from the, the principles that my family taught me. The phrase, your work will make room for you, is that something your family used? Yeah. So my dad, you know, would always say like, a man, that is so good. Yeah. My dad would always say a man's work makes room for him in life. And uh, there is a guy that came to this program just the other day I was talking to him and I said, you have a quality that is really, you can't teach somebody um, like at a certain point in their life. And that's, that's a, that's a ability to work very hard and um and to never give up i said i can work with a person like that but i i can't take somebody that doesn't have that and really teach that to them unless they have an you know an epiphany and i hate to use that word right but uh, in, in life and so i i've worked my entire life matter of fact when i was 13 years old i was working 30 hours a week um I would work nights and I would work weekends and I, I bought my first, you know, car. I paid for everything myself. I've like, you know, my own bicycles, you know, I, I've earned everything in my life from working hard, everything. So, uh, do you think that, that you said that's an ability to have an ability to work extremely hard and not give up? Is that, is that inherent or is that a skill that is picked up? You know, I, I mean, obviously, like everybody's a little bit different, and you know, and 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 who knows? But nowadays, that's not the that's not the way that the world works anymore. Uh, we we think that we make life really easy for our children, and we think we're paving the way. And what we're doing is we're destroying entire generation um, because they, they we're literally wiping them out because we're we're helping them to death. And, oh man, you're like a you're just a quote machine right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's I, killer. There are my own, there are my own quotes. I you know I I no uh, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying everything you're saying is so true, but and it could just stand on a wall painted there. We are helping <laughs> them to death. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Mm. So the this mindset of where you're looking at like that is that is learning about yourself that you can only find out is this a mindset you got that was trained to you through the seals or you feel like this was this was a mindset trained a long time ago when you were working 30 hour work weeks as a 13 year old no i think uh i think that's what i what i always knew you know i felt when i showed up at seal training you know here's all these guys and a lot of them were great athletes and had, you know they're hometown heroes and all these kind of things and i like looked at these guys and i thought to myself geez like you know the one thing that I knew looking at every single one of those guys was that I was tougher than them. Like I just knew that I was just tough. Like I, I knew that because of the way that I, I had grown up and, and the things that, you know, I had been through and the way that I was raised, I just didn't ever see any way that anybody could stop me from doing anything. Wow. And, and I just, I just didn't think that in my head because I always saw somebody else and I'm like, well, if this guy is a Navy SEAL, then, then I'll be one. Why? Yeah, exactly. Why, why, why in the world wouldn't I be? So, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. So whatever it takes, you know, and so to, you know, and then there was only 13 out of 157 guys. So I think that I, I think a lot of it, I think that the training revealed to me more about who I was because you know, listen, it wasn't all sunshines and roses. It wasn't all just like sailing, you know, cruising through. I'm just this tough guy. I just, I just knew who I knew who I was. I had, a, I had a good grasp on who I was. I wasn't there like figuring it out. Um, but I still had to make the choice in the face of adversity to put one foot in front of the other. And that was painful sometimes. And, and it does question your resolve 
and I, and I, I think a word that never gets used enough and talked about is something called character and um, character and constitution. And I think a lot of times people don't really know what they believe. They have a lot of high level ideas that they've kind of regurgitated or heard throughout their lives, but they've never really lived them. And they don't know who the, who the, you know, where the lines are of the character of their being, like where do those lines lie inside them and and it's the tests and challenges that we face that reveal the character of the individual because i always say there's only two choices in life there's the yes box and the no box and anybody that tells you that it's any different is a liar mm. it's it, it, it there there is no it's only either i accept this or i don't accept this and that's it yeah well you know you and so people want to get super complicated and sell you a series of ideas and do this and do that. Take my magical power and you know, ring, ring the gong next to my head, you know, every day at midnight or whatever they're doing now. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, but the reality of it is, is that like indecision is decision. Wow. And, All right. yeah. and so, so when people really reduce it down um, now, you may not, I always tell people it's that it's that simple, but it's, it's very hard. Right. Simple, not easy. Simple, but not easy. But the people that can execute like that are the people that 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 are trendsetters that do great and amazing things. It's like Walt Disney said, you know, every time he presented an idea, he wouldn't act on the idea until every person on his board of directors said they didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's something I want to touch on. And then obviously we got to have some time to, to really dive into the work you're doing, but I, I can't let this go by. When you talked about it wasn't all sunshine and roses during the SEALs training, but you knew who you were. I think, and I watched this, right? When I, when I'm, when I'm working with kids and they're great athletes and they're coming in, they're highly recruited. A lot of the times they're bringing their question, right? The whole John Eldridge, uh, wild at heart, man's deepest question is, am I enough? Right. If you, if you're taking your question to the arena to get answered, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get, it's going to, you're going to get knocked around. But if you go in there to basically exhibit who you already know you are, that's when some really incredible performances take place and it sounds like you were just a you were there was the tasks that you were getting put through up against what you already knew about you were there guys in your class that didn't know the answer yet and thought that seal training was going to answer it and instead it just eliminated them is that a yeah absolutely look at any i always tell people like anybody can become a navy seal like, you know, if you, if you can, if you can run and you can swim, like, you know, you have the tools, but the question is like, do you have the ability to make the yes or no answer in the face of some of the most difficult challenges that you'll, that you'll ever face as an individual? And let me tell you something, training's really hard, but it's not as hard as war. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I think that pressure peels back the layers to original thought. It, it, it peels back to the core of who the individual is. Um, see, ultimately, like we live our lives um, really living somebody else's idea of what's going to bring us some form of, you know, I hate to use the word happiness, but some form of success or completement or, you know, or, or, or fulfillment. 
so so we live these ideas so like okay hey you know we're born you know get a good job go to school get good grades make the team take sally home from the prom marry her get a you know job like work your way up the ladder save your money like get a good home and get the vacation get the place in florida and then save up enough money so that you can spend the last 15 years of your life at the whispering pines and die so um somewhere i mean it's just the reality of it, yes, it you is. know because people are asleep they are. because they think they think that things are going to bring them gratitude. They think that labels like, you know, if I become a Navy SEAL, my life's going to be great. Or if I become a billionaire, like life would be so easy. Or if I, the reality of it is that's not true because it's purpose, which I believe we're fundamentally born from. And that's why I was born into my family. That's why I faced the challenges I did. And along the way, if I had made different decisions, if I didn't go to the World Trade Center, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. Um, so Abraham Lincoln had to lose eight elections. Abraham Lincoln had to have, you know, lose a child. He had to have a mental breakdown. He had to fail his businesses so that he could develop the character that was necessary for him to fulfill his purpose in life. And when his purpose was over, he died. Mm. So along the way, if Abraham Lincoln said, uncle, enough is enough. Why is this happening? I need therapy. I need pills then then there would have had to been somebody else that would have came and we wouldn't be talking about Abraham Lincoln. He would just been another dude that shitty life. So, um, so what you're born into, I tell people the obstacle that you're facing, the obstacle that you're facing is the, is more likely the opportunity that you need. Um, because we human beings evolve and grow in the face of adversity from a biological standpoint. Okay. I want to get a big muscle great. I pick up this weight and I destroy my muscle. I rip it. Mm-hmm. And then when I take a break, it grows a little bit more Then the next day I rip it up and I, I tear it and it grows back a little stronger. And each time it gets stronger, but what's happening? There's a destruction phase. There's a difficulty phase. There's a strain phase, but now the first time people feel strained, they're running down, they're getting Valium, they're getting Vicodin, they've got this, they got the diagnosis. You know, We've created entire multi-billion dollar industries out of people avoiding struggle, and then they'll go home and they'll watch Naked Afraid on TV and then live vicariously. Well, I wonder what I would do, honey, if I was there. I would probably do this. That's why all these shows and obstacle course races and you know treadmills where you enter your struggle in – that's that struggle gives everything in life value everything oil and gas it, oil and gas only has a value because of the amount of struggle that it takes to get it out and get to your tank so, <laughs> so diamonds so are yeah diamonds are you want to talk about diamonds being oh they're so precious why they're precious because people crawl on their hands and knees and dig them out with their fingers risk their lives and have them carried on their backs through the jungles of the congo and then like get on a truck and then you know get to south africa and get polished and get to your whoa Yes, that that's that's a lot. That's so it's why like, we're paying for it. Yes, that's why we're paying for it. That's why, like you know, we watch the Super Bowl. Like, oh, you know, the Super Bowl wouldn't be great if it's like just got a bunch of dudes together. Like, okay, you guys can have the trophy. Everybody, like, this is worthless. Yeah. But now, I grew up in Liberty City and I had nothing. I killed with gang violence and all these things and I overcame. And I get there and I get the trophy and I'm crying, not because I won the Super Bowl. Right. I'm out there crying because as a six year old kid growing up in gang violence and realizing like, I've got no way out of this. That's that, that is why it matters. So it's like, why are we running away from the very thing that helps us evolve? Mm. Now, let me ask you this because I run into this argument a lot because um, if, if you're looking at this in the wrong mindset to cause someone coming from great trauma 
more trauma in an effort to help them, which I 1000% believe in. Uh, the, the argument on that, and there was a, there was, and I had this discussion with Angela Duckworth, uh, about the, the pushback on her grit research was how can you ask a kid that's had just toxic levels of stress and he's, and he's been traumatized and beaten and, and abused to be just, just pull himself up by his bootstraps when he doesn't have possess the capability of do the, to, to even do that. And we're cruel for asking kids to do that because I'm in the, I'm in the education system right now and I'm watching us just excuse behavior that is going to not only ruin these kids lives, ruin these kids lives, but kill them. And instead, we just say they can't help it. You don't understand their story. So what would your response, because that is a dangerous, dangerous way that we are drifting towards thinking, is that that kind of behavior is validated and excused because of the trauma they're coming from. What is your what do you think about that? Well, so what research did she have? I'm just wondering if you just give me just a little bit more context. So basically, the, the it was written in the New Yorker, kind of was push was ripping apart the the grit research that Angela Duckworth presented, and uh, you know has really taken off. She's saying that, or I, I don't know if it's a male or female that wrote it. Uh, the the author says that the the brain, if it's exposed to toxic levels of stress, the frontal lobe will shut off. The, and parts of the brain that that neurologically is responsible for empathy and understanding process and outcome and caring about other people and all that sort of stuff. It shuts off so that it doesn't have to feel pain anymore. And we should just basically their brain damage. We should leave them like that. Now, what I brought up to her, I said, can we, this get rewired by putting them in pain mastery experiences can they slowly switch that circuit board back on by becoming the masters of their own fate yes all the trauma that happened was randomized they had no control over it but if we put them through pain that they have control over and we show them and we praise them precisely for how they did it and got themselves out of it and not just labeling them broken or great based off of how they respond to it we 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 put them in the own their own driver's seat of their lives rather than just saying life sucks and uh i this was the hand i was dealt with and you guys should all feel sorry for me is basically in a nutshell when you water it down was the research was you can't tell someone that has brain damage due to toxic levels of stress to be tougher well I would be. I would. I would. I would have an argument with that. I would say, okay, well, what's the history on kids growing up in, in Africa, Africa, um, in war-torn areas? What's the, what's the, what's about the kids growing up in Afghanistan? Um, what about the kids growing up in Africa? Right? What is this toxic level of stress? How did they even come up with that? I mean, right. If, right so, like, it, it, in your opinion, is toxic level of stress? Yeah. Because. You've never had any stress, so therefore you assume it's toxic. You use that 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 term, but like if you want to talk about that, I'd be like, okay, well, what about Oprah Winfrey? She was sexually abused as a child. She was beaten. You know, she had a horrific past, and she's the richest woman in the whole world. I mean, okay, so like, well, she's different. Why is she different? Yeah. Okay, Eleanor Roosevelt, Bill Clinton. Um, I mean, he was another guy that was really, you know, suffered a, a lot of abuse as a child. Um, you look at, um, who is it? Uh, uh, Jewel, 
Jewel was uh, mentally and physically abused and beaten by her father. She went on to become, you know, one of the greatest musical artists of the nineties, Chevy Chase. He was another guy that used to be locked in a closet and tortured and slapped and beaten. And he, you know, obviously, you know, we love him. He's considered one of the funniest people of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, this, these, we are so crisp to create labels. Okay. Yeah. And I always talk about labels, labels, create markets and markets, create trends and trends are what people follow in the treatment and behavior towards people that have experienced what these labels are supposed to represent. So, okay. So let's do it again. Let's, Cause I want people to really be able to grab hold of that. All right. Labels come from where? labels come from people right so like from 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 you know doctors or from um you know experts okay i I, i'm always very leery if someone says they're an expert okay because (laughs) because i'm like okay so you for instance let's let's take it back to the veteran so i go to the va okay go to the va there's a 25 year old grad student that just got out of college how you doing hi i'm micah fang Okay. Here's my military record. They look it over. Okay. So you have trouble sleeping. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I did a bunch of deployments like this. Okay. Do you have an angry outburst? Do you drive fast? Do you think people are following you? You're like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes like, I don't know. It's a clandestine guy. Like, okay. At the end of the day, you have PTSD. I do like, okay. Yeah. You have PTSD. I'm like, so a 25 year old that's never left the college campus, never been through any challenges, never faced anything is going to tell a 40 year old operator that's been to, you know, 38 countries in his life, you know, done all these different things, you know, been through all these experiences, been exposed to the horrors of war. Right. Now, a complete and total stranger within 45 minutes has a series of chemical substances that are going to get me back to where I need to be. And this happened to you. Yeah. So it's like, isn't that a bizarre system? A complete and total stranger that not only they learned that from somebody else. So they just went and read what somebody else's opinion was and somebody else's opinion was somebody else's opinion was. And then they came and they've been told all these things to tell you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So then, yeah, but like, okay, what about the, what about the, you know, the the players on the LA Raiders that grew up in gang violence, people were killed, mom was a drug dealer, you know, dad was in prison, but they go to the, they go to the NFL and they're doing great. We don't talk about them. No. Well, because they made it. So the question is, people can make it. Yeah. People like Chevy Chase and Queen Latifah and, and, and people like Eleanor Roosevelt and Marilyn Manson, people like Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln, uh, they all face toxic stress. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. Toxic. And, and they might not have, and listen, a lot of guys in the NFL, I've interacted with them. They're going to have some days where you're like, tag on man, something dark is there, but you know what? They, they deal with it and they, and they keep performing. They keep, uh, experiencing levels of success rather than just tapping out and saying you don't understand what i went through and all those sorts of things because they're dealing with it so you go through this process people that do stuff to children are evil they're evil evil people and it is it is it is there is horrors that happen i mean there is terrible things that happen to people but at the end of the day like yes we want to prevent those things and yes we have to stop those things at all costs but we also 
we also can destroy them with the process that they get presented when they when they come out the other side of those experiences. We can destroy them. No doubt, one thousand percent agree with that statement. So just like you react to seeing something that's really screwed up with September 11th, you come back, you're stateside, you you're sitting in the VA, and you're like, what? is the deal here now is this is this the moment is this the 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 pendulum swings here and you're like we we've got to approach this differently or how how does how does heroes and horses come from that experience i mean so for me like you know i i coming out of the that 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 experience at the world trade center is just made me realize that I wanted to do something. I really didn't know what that meant. Uh, matter of fact, what I said to my, my friend was, um, who was sitting there, we were both crying and, and I looked, I looked at him and I was like, you know, he looks at me and he goes, what are we going to do? And I remember I just sat there and I said, uh, I said, I'm just going to kill whoever did this. And, uh, he was like, yeah, okay, buddy. And you'll be okay. And I was like, you know, I didn't know what that meant, but I guess that was my way of really saying like, I'm not going to accept this. Like, I'm not going to like My life is not going to be, this is what I've experienced. And I'm like this helpless character, like in the story, like I'm going to do something about it, which I did. I, I went down and, you know, um, I went down and I, you know, I ended up joining the military. Like that was my way of saying, okay, I don't accept this. I'm going to do something else. And so when I, when I got out of the military and I, you know, kind of got into the VA system, I, I didn't accept that I had, you know, this lady had told me I had, you know, bipolar disassociative disorder and I had PTSD and all this other stuff. And I like, I didn't accept that mm-hmm. because I circling back to what I was saying about the 25 year old grad student. I was like, I said, the latest, well, how do you know that about me? Right. And she goes, well, I mean, you know, this is, you know, it's kind of a formula. We, you know, we know we look for things. And I said, well, how do you know that's true? You don't know anything about me. Nothing. And you, and now you have, you have a series of chemicals that were created in the lab by somewhere that is going to return me to where, to what you think is normal. Wow. I'm, I'm going to evolve to your idea. I'm going to take my whole life. And right now I am going to, you are going to give me some substances and then I'm going to evolve to what you think I should be right now. Mm. And the answer is no. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the answer is no. I mean, I, I, you know, I really love this, the, the story of, um, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, he was homeless and you know he he sold his dog he was living in a subway tunnel he writes the rocky one living in the subway tunnel he goes down to the film studio sits in there for like you know new york city he sits in there for like four hours they come out and say we'll give you three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the script and he says he says well he's here's this homeless guy he's like uh well i want to star in it and they laughed and said no way you know, and then Universal Pictures or United Artists picked it up, you know, six months later and the rest is history. Um, you know, we don't we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about Jim Carrey being homeless or all these people that I was like naming. Like we don't we don't 
like to talk about that because what that does is that puts us in a position where we're like, uh-oh, I have to do something. Right. We love the excuse. Yeah, like, oh, Franklin Roosevelt became paralyzed when he was given a polio da- vaccine for the rest of his life. That's toxic trauma. <laughs> yes. So then he decided to become the president of the United States. Right. 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 So, um, you know, I, I just like I love these stories about people. Um, uh, you know, Victor Frankel is a book that we use in the program. It's man's search for meaning. You know, he was in Auschwitz for four years, became a psychologist and, yes, and, and love Victor Frankel. Victor Fra- right. But like he wouldn't be Victor Frankel if he hadn't gone to Auschwitz for four years, He'd just be Victor Frankel, just another dude. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So like we got to take a step back before we say, you know, you're toxic this and you're toxic that and you're, you know, all these things and you're destroyed and your life is ruined and you're going to have all these problems. And I'm like, look, at, I'm not saying that getting a polio vaccine and becoming paralyzed from the belly button down is not a horrible thing. But you can become the president if that happens to you because someone's already done it. Yes. You know, um, you can become Jay-Z who couldn't get a record label and nobody ever paid attention to him um, because the obstacles in life, they're, they're, they can become the opportunities. They can become the building blocks of who you are. Like who's, who's going to follow anybody that's never faced anything? It's like, hey, you're going to follow, uh, you know, uh, you're going to follow this guy that served 20 years as an army ranger and overcame poverty and parents were died in a drug over a gunfight and he had this horrible life and becomes army rangers and wins the medal of honor. Or are you going to follow this um, trust fund kid that just got out of the Georgetown last week and has a really good education? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you knew this all along. Your struggle is that's, that's the key. It's what unlocks this for all of us. It's what gets us back into having a reason to wake up in the morning. And so, just how's this how how does this birth how does heroes and horses come to be you know so for me you know i i had moved out here to montana and uh, i was still contracting at the time and you know i was really thinking about what i was going to do next in my life and i kind of moved out to montana i was going to do this like self a lot of that's you know self-sustaining life and you know have gardens and do all this stuff and um you know, hunt for my food or whatever. And I move out here and I'm and one weekend. I was just having like, a, I just, you know, I was, I was still contracting with home on rotation. And, um, I decided to get a backpack and I headed out into the back country and I went, got a map and went way out in the Montana wilderness and ended up meeting some cowboys with horses and out there. And they invited me to the ranch and then I started working there. And then, you know, I kind of started shoeing horses and, um, you know, learning about them and riding them all the time. And it was really tough times are really tough old school cowboys and they're drunks and crooks and you name it, you know, horse traders and wheelers and dealers and like, you know. but anyway, like I kind of like, you know, I, I started learning a lot, but I really started becoming like kind of angry at the horses. I was always in these big fights with them. Well, well, as I started like going through this, like, you know, kind of like failing forward, if you want to say that. Yeah. Um, I realized how much I started going back overseas and realized how much it started having like an impact on me. And I was starting to change. And so I ended up inviting some buddies out mine, some special forces guy, a special forces guy and another SEAL came out and spent two weeks with me. I took him in the backcountry on horses. 
it was a brutal trip. I mean, we were like snowing and getting, I got bucked off and I got dragged, my leg got busted. And like, but at the end of the trip, we had gone through this like pretty intense grizzly bears. Like, I mean, we had all kinds of like, you know, novice, no, novice horsemen, you know, out there on our own with a bunch of horses in the wild. And, and when we came out, like we had like emerged as different people, um, you know, we became wildly knowledgeable about ourselves. Right. So I did it again, like, a, like a month later, they came back out, we did it again. And then, you know, I ended up realizing that like, you know, bringing vets out and doing this, like we got to get our buddies doing this because there's a dignity in facing a challenge. All right. This isn't come out here and horsey ride for vets and like, you know, like, you know, no loud noises, like, oh, you know, like, oh no, like, you know, eat these donuts and here's coffee. Like it was like, it was a gut check. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we brought guys out here. And so a lot of guys wanted to come out because they became the masters of their own destiny. And so today the program is 40 days long. It's comprehensive, uh, guys, you know, it's whole food eating. So there's no dairy, there's no carbs, there's no, um, juice, there's no honey, there is water and coffee, meat and vegetables for 40 days. Uh, you got to read two books before you arrive at Heroes and Horses and go through our veterans communication strategy. Then you, every day starts with PT when they're in camp. They'll ride around four to 500 miles while in the 40-day program. You know, they'll ride some of the gnarliest train in, North, in the lower 48 states, hands down. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll finish day 40 by climbing a 10,000 foot peak at two o'clock in the morning. And because the metaphor of the program is behind every mountain is just another mountain. And, and nobody really cares that you just finished the longest and the hardest program in North America for vets, because that was yesterday. Hmm. So, so we make them climb this mountain and, and, and really what they find out in the end is what they were looking for. They already had. Yeah. They already had, we didn't teach them anything. Yeah. We gave them skills. We gave them skills and put them in a high pressure medium where they learn how to mine for themselves, where they learn how to, where they learn how to, to not become the victim of circumstance, but to realize that in their choices is freedom from everything. It's not the war. It's not the tough challenges they had growing up. It's their choices that, that, that ultimately dictate who, uh, they'll become and where they'll go in life in the face of adversity, then no longer letting the life happen to them, but for them. And, and they are in charge of their own destiny truly at that point. That's what will drive them to success is that change of belief system, uh, learning to think greater than they feel. And, um, when they grab a hold of that knowledge, which is proprietary to the individual, it's not a set of ideas that I've said, do this and do that and follow me. And I know all the answers. <laughs> I'm quite the opposite. What I'm saying is that, you know, the answers and I'm going to put you in a place where when those questions come, you're going to have a real authentic place to answer them. And a lot of times it's not quite what you thought. And, and that's where change begins, where you where you stop looking in the mirror and just seeing things superficially. But you you look in the mirror and it's the things that you don't see that change your life. Learning to think greater than you feel. Where that's I mean, we, we used to define and I think I, I, I took it from 
it was a quote from a Navy SEAL. It was basically that that's the definition of toughness is it's your your basic your your brain's chemical equation is this is worth it and it's worth more than how I feel. What I'm doing is more important than how I feel. Uh, and, and I think what's interesting is that these guys, these are not soft dudes from, you know, that are that are just bored dentists and doctors and lawyers that you're bringing out there and switching on their their minds and hearts. These are guys that that were real dudes to begin with. So or, or had had been through some real stuff and, and, are, and are tough guys. They're former combat. They are combat veterans. And yet, you still see um, them have this this unbelievable response to a, a whole new set of struggle and purpose. Yeah, and listen, when you changing someone's belief system, I think is the hardest thing in the world. It is. Um, yes, you know, we become addicted to thought processes even if they're negative. So we become highly addicted to these thought processes and, and we live like essentially a life that just kind of inches forward instead of goes forward because we're always looking back. So we're defining our life by past experiences and, you know, we become addicted to the experience, whether it's a good or a bad experience, they're all the same. So like I always tell people, I'm like, it's no different to have a trauma than it is to have a success, right? Because if it stifles growth, then it's destroyed your life. If all you ever do is talk about, you know, the homecoming pass that you threw in 1989, you never did anything else, that's destroyed your life. That's the pinnacle of your life. Yeah. If all you ever do is talk about the, the you know, like Charlize Theron, like witnessed her mother shoot her father in an act of self-defense and killed her in front of her when she was a little girl. Yeah. Um, you know, she's considered one of the most respected talented actresses in the world. Yeah. So if all she ever did was talk about, you know, the rest of her life about seeing this happen, um, seeing this happen, then um, that would be the end of her life. And all, all she ever did was talk about the one time she won a Grammy. Well, then that would be the, or whatever they that's give it. The actors. End of her life. Yeah. That's the end of your life. So they're all the same. It's all the interconnected. Yeah. So success is just as debilitating as failure. They're the one and the same. And people are always like, it's hard for people to wrap their mind around that. Right. But it's the truth because I always tell these guys, it doesn't matter what you did because that was yesterday. Mm. Like it, it was yesterday. Like, what are you going to do today? And so much of, so what you're saying is, let me see if I'm, if I'm on the right track here, if you're, they are, even though they've accomplished so much, it's ruining their life because that's what's stopping them from continuing their life is they can't get past those experiences. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Well, well, this is what happens. Like, so every single experience in your life, every thought has a frequency, right? We are, that's common knowledge. Every thought has a frequency <clears throat> and tons of studies done about that. And then every experience that you have has emotional and a chemical response, right? So if I have, if I'm walking down the street and a guy says, you know what time it is? I'm like three o'clock. I'll probably never remember that. Right. But if I walk down the street and he points a gun in my face and says, give me your watch. Yeah. Then I'm going to remember that. Why? Because there's a chemical quotient that's attached to that. So 
that chemical quotient is, you know, adrenaline and norepinephrine and epinephrine and all the feelings that come and the catecholamines that fire throughout your body. And that creates what's called a memory. And the reason why that memory is, I'll never forget it, is because the chemicals that were released when it happened. So now if I sit there and I think back, I'm talking to you and I'm like, yeah, one time I was in New York City and then all of a sudden my heart starts to race, right? I start to sweat. My body doesn't know that I'm not there because it's attaching the memory to the chemicals. Mm. So now I get anxiety and we're like, oh my God, the guy's PTSD. He's freaking out. He's talking about the war. He's starting to sweat. Like, oh God, he, get, get him, grab him. Um, and <laughs> so yeah. – what happens is we keep we become addicted to those emotions, so we keep going back. And everyone sits down and says, "What happened in Afghanistan in 2008?" And you're like, "Well," and then, "Hey, can you tell us another war story?" "Hey, can you do this?" And you you create a hybrid future from the past. Oh wow! Yeah, um, you create a hybrid future. Regardless, I either accept this or I don't accept it. There's only two boxes, right? So you have created your own future with experiences from the past. So you live like a, like a, like a mixture of forward and backwards together. And I call that nowhere. Yeah, because it absolutely is. So how do you pull these people? How do these experiences in this program? How's it, how's it snapping them out of that? That nowhere? Uh, well, it's, I mean, okay. So these guys show up, you know, they've got, it's no different than training horses, right? They've got, this problem and that problem and this challenge and that challenge. And they've got this and that and PTS and this and jobs and the VA screwed me up and the military. Okay. Whatever. I don't care. Once they're selected, I don't really care anymore because this program is all about today. So we put them in a process that creates new experiences, shows them to forces them in their situations. They got to take ownership of their lives. They become the pilots of their own ships and in the face of adversity, they see their reactions and begin to learn about who they truly are. And when they gain that knowledge and they return back to what I always say is original thought, that moment right there, that moment is the moment of true and proprietary change to the individual. But at any given time, they can quit. They can say, you know, I don't want to do this. I, you know, like whatever, like blah, blah, blah. Because learning about yourself is really hard. Yes. Yeah. It's so hard to do that we become experts in learning about everybody else. Just people sit there and tell you every single football player, every that, every baseball card, every average, or every single president, every single this and that, and political stuff. And when you say, who are you? Oh, I got a PhD in psychology. Okay. But you're a first grader in the knowledge of yourself. Man, preach. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i love the way you talked about um over prescribed and under purposed um and and that that struggle and so basically what you're doing is you're you're facilitating education self-education through extreme struggle yeah well, i mean i just look at i just put them in a process where they learn about themselves that's it I manage a high pressure medium that, and then look at the horses, you know, to, to, to not get into that role, but the horses are, are an, an incredibly powerful component to what we do. Now let's get into um, it because there's a beautiful film. If you have not watched it, you have to watch it. Um, 500 miles that was this, was this before 
he, the, the program started or no, no. So I, I did the 500 mile project and you know, I created that and produced it. And, uh, it was an, it was an idea that I had, uh, the story of the unpurposed horse and the unpurposed human being yes. and how purpose allows people and horses to overcome their external circumstances. So, um, I wanted to show the power, um, you know, of, of purpose and, and first with horses, then with veterans. So we adopted 16 wild Mustangs. So I'll give you some horse knowledge. So, okay. Um, okay. So a horse, uh, is, is obviously a prey animal. All right. So their eyes are on the side of their heads and a predator's eyes are on the front of their heads like us. Um, mm-hmm. so they are, uh, are constantly and have evolved to run away from being hunted by mountain lions and bears and wolves. And, um, so, so they have binocular and minocular vision, meaning that they can't see four feet in front of their nose and they can't see four feet behind them. Everything they see is 10 times larger and a horse is meant to always be on the move. So, um, they have 50 liters of fluid in their stomach all the time. So when they move, it sloshes back and forth inside of this big cavity and hits their diaphragm when they're running and creates pressure for them to intake more air. They have the highest VO2 max out of any land animal on earth. They are designed to run away. So, so, so that's, an, so, I, I grew up with horses, had no idea about any of that. That's incredible. Yeah. So then, so, so horses, you know, here comes, uh, you know, uh, human beings and are like, I, I want to use you for a locomotive, you know, a, 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 a locomotive adjunct to my life. And, um, I'm going to climb on your back just the way a mountain lion does when it jumps out of a tree and bites you. And we're going to, we're going to hang out Well, it's like, okay, the horse human relationship or horsemanship, horsemanship means the horse human relationship, the relationship between, um, 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 a man and a horse. And it, and it really is asexual. So a man or a woman or whatever. And, um, the way that you do that first with horses and, and all the horsey people think that their horses are their friends. And I always tell them you're, you're out of your mind. A horse's brain is the size of a walnut and, uh, these horses, they have to be, otherwise if they were blue tick hounds, we wouldn't be riding them. They would be ruling the world. So, um, they, these horses, they're looking for a leader. So in the wild, particularly, there's an alpha mare and an alpha male, right? So a stud. So the stud bites off the other guys, roves around, looks out for predators, and the mare runs the herd, leads them to food and water and beats beats anyone's ass that doesn't fall in line. So then you have a pecking order that goes all the way down. So when you take a horse, a wild horse or a you know, range colt, you get in there. This horse isn't looking to be your friend. He's going to say, who's going to be in charge, you or me? Because there's a pecking order and everything. So before you can experience the beauty and the grace and the relationship between horse and human, you have to overcome fear and violence and, and everything else in between, depending on the you know personality of the horse. So the way that you teach the horse to learn is not from the application of pressure, but from the release of pressure. So you create a problem for the horse. And when the horse makes the right decision, you immediately back the problem off or the pressure. And when the horse does that, if your timing is just correct and your feel is right with the animal, they think they thought it up. 
So then like, okay, they're always moving away from pressure. So I'm establishing dominance by creating, you know, these pressure environments and situations. And then when the horse does the right thing, I back it off. I give them what's called a release. So they don't learn from the application of pressure, but they learn from the release. And that's how a horse learns. So you have to become and establish a leadership component, a leader, the leader, the horse leader, uh, uh, whether it's the male or the female, um, they don't get kicked and they don't get bit and they don't get roughed up. They are in charge, right? They, they are, they are the, at the apex and that's where the human being wants to be. For instance, if you see somebody walking a horse and the horse is walking all over top of them, putting his head on them and they're like, Oh, he just loves me. Well, he's dominating him. Yeah. What he's saying is that I'm walking next to you, not behind you because, um, you're not, I'm on the same level as you. And so instinctually, let me go back because people are like, horses are geniuses. So they're going to get all mad. <laughs> horses cerebrally are very dumb. Okay. A horse is the only animal that I've ever seen that will run itself into a tree and hang itself in the V of a tree. A horse is the only animal I've ever seen that will run up and down the fence when the gates open because his buddy left going crazy running into the fence when the gates open two feet away. Um, a horse is instinctually highly evolved in intelligence. So they sense your energy. They know if I'm a mile away and I'm walking through a field, that horse knows that I'm right there. And I can move that horse from a mile away with pressure. So that horse knows that I'm already there. They sense it. They know it. So as I'm walking up to that horse, let's say I'm a veteran day one, heroes and horses, I've got a real angry problem. So we match these guys to these horses. And, and let's say I've got a guy with a bad temper, violent. I match him with a horse that's very worried and nervous. So if he, the moment he walks up to there, there's a problem with the you, horse. You, He's do that, you do that on purpose. Oh yeah. And if I got a guy with no confidence, I match him with a, a horse that's very docile and calm. And that's never going to, you know, not going to push him and is going to let him establish, you know, the foundations of self-confidence and then we'll upgrade him through the course. So the horse human matching is one of the most important things that we do here. And so what, how, how do you, guy, how do you do that? Do you know that when they show up? Or you see that right at, at, through the first week or so, or and, and you already obviously know about the horses because you you're taking care of those as you go. But how how do you make that decision? Well, what we do, uh, um, um, what we do with the with the application process is we screen these guys really heavily. We figure out, you know, and then we do our interviews, and then we figure out a good gauge of what we think who this guy is. Then we sit down with the horses and we're not with them, but like we sit down and with our horse list, you know, we got about 64 horses and we say to ourselves, okay, um, what are we, who, who's a good match for this guy right here? Yeah. And then we, we, and some, you know, I would say we're probably about 70 to 80% nail it. And then usually if not a good fit, we'll change the guy out in two, three days or whatever. And, um, and, and that horse does most of the teaching. So when the angry guy realizes that I've created all the problems, all I have to do is be gentle and kind to this horse. That's it. I can do anything with this horse if I'm gentle and kind. But if I treat this horse like I treat human beings, this horse will kill me. He'll kill me. Wow. So that's a pretty – that's pretty in-your-face fear factor right there for guys, right? <laughs> a good behavioral governor 
Absolutely. Right. And so that's what the horses do because I could sit there all day and say, Hey bud, you're the, you know, and, and this is what a lot of guys realize. They're like, Oh my God, this is how I treat my family. This is how I treat people around me. Like, this is how I treat my kids. Like this, how I, and it becomes vi- the magnitude of it because what the horse does is reflects who they are and reacts to who they are in real time all day, every day, all day. Because remember, circling back to the little brief lesson on the evolution of the horse is they are designed to run away from us. So when they sense your energy, now the guy could look normal to you or me, but when he walks up to that horse and the horse begins to shy and look, something is going on inside that human being that's saying some predatorial aspect that may say, you're going to do what I want or I'm going to pull your face off. You know, like, and we may see, oh, this guy loves totally fine. He's got a cowboy hat, but the horse is, is they didn't, they're not here today because they're, they're they, they don't have any instincts. <laughs> you know, the dinosaurs are dead and horses are still here. Yeah. So, so, you know, we got to remember that there's this horse human relationship. It's the, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the lion riding on top of the lamb is what I always say. And, and that doesn't happen without trust. And the horses don't trust people. You know, they, they don't because they don't, the energy that's produced by an individual is so powerful that it causes the animal to react from 20 feet away. Wow. 20 feet away, you're walking up to it in a field. And if a guy, you know, like let's say a guy has a lot of anxiety and is approaching that horse, that horse will immediately take off. Really? Yeah, and so when you're training horses, you always let the horses fail, let them make a mistake, bring them back in, give them an opportunity to fail again. Same thing with these guys coming through the program. Same thing with anything in life. Always give them the freedom to move. Don't use force, fear, and repetition. Beat it into their heads. Give them the freedom to move. Give them the freedom to make a mistake. Provide the environment where they can make the right decision, but it's got to be their own idea. And that's how you train people, and that's how you train horses. And and you're seeing real results with this. Like, yeah, if I wasn't, I would I would be working at, you know, Chick-fil-A or something because <laughs> I, and I, and I mean that. I'm not into uh, – I, I, I'm not into vacation for veterans, okay? That's not my thing, like yeah. – there is a major problem in North America. You know, hundreds of thousands of guys have killed themselves as they've been tracking it. Um, you know, I think since 2005, 128,000 guys. By the end of 2020, they're saying 138,000 guys will have killed themselves since 2005. Um, there's a problem. And look at the guys that are alive. They're not. Well, what's the definition of being alive? Right. right. Breathing. Yeah. Oh, if you're sitting on your couch and you're on 11 psychiatric meds, like somebody we had come through the program this year, and you're just basically, you know, borderline feeding tube, you sit there and you drool all day and watch Netflix and you're 100 pounds overweight, you know, um, you're, uh, is that a success? Is that a W? Right. If you came home from combat and there was nothing and you were like, I got to eat something. Yeah. I got to get a stick and club a rat or something, right? There was nothing. You just came home and it was like, you know, the Roman times and you better get to work. Right. Totally different. 
Yes. Because you evolve immediately right then and there and say, okay, what's the five meter target? I, I, I got to get some clothes on my back. I, I got, I got to get food. I got to build shelter, right? You're not sitting around thinking like, yeah, my commanding officer was mean to me. And then like one time it got mortared in Kandahar and like, I need a paycheck for the rest of my life. So th- there's something very, I think there's really powerful. What you're saying is, is we are depressed and sad and miserable and unhealthy and and on the verge of just taking our own lives because we're able to like if we were if we just had to snap back in and just get going right we wouldn't have time for this is that what you're saying yeah i mean look at like like i said you know and it's kind of an overstatement but you know you come home from war and the first person you see is a 25 year old grad student Tells you got all these problems, and then they stick a paycheck in here. Let me, let me, let me. The Native Americans, we we tried kind of killing them off, right? And it didn't yeah. work. Right. Uh, people got pretty mad, and then battle a little Bighorn, and all these things that happened. Public outcried. So then, then we we're like, well, we got to get rid of them. We got to get rid of them. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give them everything. We're going to give them free land, a free house, subsidized health care, subsidized food. They don't have to work. They don't have to do anything. We'll give them alcohol, and they'll kill themselves. Oh, my goodness. And that's what happened. Let's do this with vets. Yeah. Loud noises? No problem. 10%. You know, toe hurts? 13%. Okay. So then when we give them psychiatric meds? And a hundred plus thousand guys and women soldiers have wiped themselves out a generation. The entire area that I live in had spent succumbed to suicide per se, to put it in people's minds. Right. So it's a little tagline. 22 vets are killing themselves every day. It's like, why? why? I would, I would bear to say a million vets are not alive. Yes. Well, what's living when we got to ask that question. So it's like, the thing is like, if, 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 if the vets came home and they, you know, got back and it was like, you know, before they showed up at the VA, we're like, you know, everyone has to climb Mount Everest. I guarantee you when they come down after Mount Everest, they're not going to be like, Hey, back when I was in Kandahar, they're going to be like, Hey, back when I was on Mount Everest, well, weren't you in Kandahar? Yeah, but whatever, (laughs) man. What you're what you're introducing is 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 so much. It's so much larger than saying, "Hey guys, we need to go outside and we need to do hard stuff." Like you're you're you're. We have to completely rethink how we address com- veterans coming home. We have to completely rethink uh, how we're looking at stress. We have to completely rethink how we how we view struggle and what success and all of these things you you're starting a conversation with that uh, i mean does this is this just a a fight you're going to have to keep fighting or do you actually think that we can redesign how veterans come home my goal with heroes and horses is to change things at the policy level and it is to get data quantifiable and quantitative in front of health and human services and say, look, it maybe it's just the, 
the, the, the metaphor of the matrix, red pill or blue pill. You sit down, welcome back. You're out of the service. Um, you know, a lot of people statistically face challenges, okay? Whatever that number is, let's just say hypothetically, 38% of people, and I'm just making this up, that get out of the military face challenges. But we're going to provide you an opportunity. Okay, you're going to go and you're going to spend the next, what we call a reintegration program. You're going to do whole food eating, saunas, books, horsemanship, running, whatever it is, right? A model, 40 or 50 days. Then we're going to plug you into an internship. And then, or option B, you're going to start going to inpatient therapy for PTSD. You're going to take a whole bunch of pills and we're going to give you a paycheck. And they maybe, get, maybe that's it. What, where do you, there's a commitment to what they're eating in your program. And I think that's really interesting. Where, where does the conviction come from that? That it ha, we have to be, if we're going to get this right, we got to be eating right. Where does that come from for you? So, so, so heroes and horses, like I always say this, a person, okay. If you have a guy that's on sleep meds, I know they're on sleep meds, you know, Lunesta and Valium and, you know, Ambien or whatever. Yeah. They, nobody has sleep problems at Heroes and Horses. Nobody. Okay. <laughs> nobody. Including nobody. <laughs> it, right. It's not possible. So your body just shuts down. Yes. So a, a person that shows up at the VA that's 50 pounds overweight, is on psychiatric medications, smokes cigarettes, chew Copenhagen, plays Red Bull, drinks Red Bull, plays video games all day and is unemployed, is a depressed person. A person that is a healthy person that has a purpose, that lives a balanced lifestyle, that doesn't smoke and doesn't do all these things and doesn't have all these unhealthy things and is not 100 pounds overweight and has a meaning is not a depressed person. So before the guy shows up, you know, um, you know, wearing quadruple XL, a shirt that says big dogs, and he's got a Marv 100 hanging out of his head, and the military did it to him. Um, before we start putting narcotics in people, which is extreme, doesn't get any more extreme than messing with the chemistry and hormones inside the human body, which we don't even fully understand. Um, let's start there. Right. But that's the let's, first step. Let's eat a carrot. My, I mean, we we skip to the very, very most extreme thing immediately, and hand people drugs. We hand children drugs. I work with children, and the first thing we say is we got to put these kids on meds. But we keep them inside. We make them stare at screens. We make them stay seated. We make them shut their mouths. We cram sugar down their throats. We cram processed foods down their throats. They don't drink water. They drink juice. They drink sodas. They drink just garbage and we can't we say i can't believe you're acting like that and and these are these are children let alone like you're dealing with an adult population that you're like there's no way you could be happy behave with that kind of lifestyle and we're doing it to kids and saying why are kids so sad unbelievable we you know my kids um and i'm no you know I'm not going to sit in here and say I'm like some kind of amazing parent or I'm, you know, I'm going to be on the cover of parenting magazines or anything, but like my kids don't have cell phones. They don't have iPads. They work. You know, we've got a lot of horses. We've got a lot of animals. My kids work. They carry wood. We heat our house with wood. My, my kids work very hard and um, they, 
they are learning the fundamentals and foundations of what it takes to build a life, you know? So what our house, you know, bought my house, it was, had no sheetrock on the walls. It had no floors in it. We lived in the, you know, with construction plastic and everything like that. And most people would be like, you know, what, but what, what that's education. Mm-hmm. That's education. Yeah. Like if I had a billion dollars, the last thing I would do is give any to my kids. Because I would ruin their lives. (laughs) Yeah, you would. I would rob their opportunity to face challenge. I would rob their opportunity to face obstacles. And I would never do that. Ever. Like, you want to screw your kids up? Give them an iPad. Let them sit on the house. Give them a bunch of Ritalin. And buy him a new bicycle every week and put him in the best clothes and let him keep you're, you're, you are raising a monster, yes. you know? And we're all you're, saying, Oh, I just, I just love my kid. I just want him to have everything. Well then, but it's really a form of hatred. It's a, it's an ignorant form of hatred to treat our kids like that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I live out here in Montana. I see these kids, you know, I, I was out riding and gathering horses down on, or gathering cows down in Wyoming. And, um, there's a little boy that came out. It was, took seven days. We pushed, uh, class, the first class that we had this year, we pushed, took a week. We pushed 600 head over 19 sections and then another 50 miles and, uh, 600 head of cows. It was in rough in the badlands. And so two nights came out, the seven year old boy, came out and man, this kid could ride a horse. He had a rain jacket on. It was snowing. He's in the mud. His horse went down. He's chasing these cows. We're like, I'm like, man, this is a tough little kid. He's spurring this horse. And so we're out in the campfire, you know, we're just out in the middle of nowhere and we got a campfire going. We're cooking up some coffee. And and I I talked to us today. I said, you know, that little boy you got there, that's that little boy's a hand. That's a tough, he's tougher than all these vets. we got out here crying about being out here. I said, you got this little boy out here. He says, yeah, he's been doing really good. You know, his mom was killed in a car crash last year. And he says, it's been, it's been real hard. And uh, he said, you know, he just he just gets in and takes care of his horses. And he understands, you know, that, that's life. And, you know, we got lots of cows that die and horses that die. And he says, you know, it's been it's been tough. So I'm raising all the kids of my own. And uh, and he said, you know, the mom, you know, it's it's tough not having a mom anymore. And I sat there and I thought to myself, and I brought all these guys around because they were they were all really complaining, you know, because it was snowing and it, they had there's no water out there. It was very very tough conditions, and these these vets are out there like complaining. Wow. And I, and I brought them all around and I said, each one of you should be ashamed of yourself. I said this kid's mother died a year ago, and he's out here with us with his dad. Like he's out there doing this with us, and I was like. Think about yourself right now. Think about the person that you are. And like, you know, it really took everybody back and was like, whoa, like, (laughs) you know, we think just because we're soldiers that the world owes us something and that we're entitled to this and that. And let me tell you something. I don't care what you did for this country. Nobody owes you anything. You owe yourself because there's one shot in life. And my message is not, there is no wait until next year. There is no waiting for five years. There is no waiting for the phone to ring for the next big contract. There is only today. There is no waiting to lose weight and get the membership. There is no change in my diet tomorrow. There is right now. Yeah. And time is a real precious commodity. 
And if you waste it, I promise you at the end of life, you'll be real sorry. Man. Look, I, I, I'm taking more time than you allowed me to have. Uh, but man, this is some, this is some really strong stuff that people have to, they don't, and not, not should hear it. They, they have to hear it. Like that's where we've gotten is people have to hear it. We have to rethink how we're bringing people back home, how we're bringing kids up in this world, how we're parenting, how we're treating ourselves, the truth and lies that we're telling to ourselves. Um, this has been really, really inspiring to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for your time. Mike, I, seriously. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to do it. Um, you know, I, I've dedicated my life to, to helping others and giving back. And um, speaking you know, of, how do we how do we help? How do we help what you're doing? Well, I mean, obviously, like donating resources, coming out here, volunteering, sharing a word. Um, you know, uh, obviously, raising money is what we do as an organization. You know, to fund these guys, zero out of pocket costs. Tell veterans. Get involved. You know, you I'm just coming out here and spending a week and working for us. I'm promised we'll have an impact in your life. And like, and you, I, and that's, that's a pos- I can do that. I can come out and help you guys do it. Look, I can't change. I can't do this by myself. It has to be a community where people say, you know what? Let's start looking at life and let's get really let's get let's have a real conversation yeah. and then let's do something and let's double it all down. And I don't care about being rich and I'm not living my life to make money. And I don't care if I have a giant house and I could give a shit about having a nice car, but I'll tell you right now, $1 billion does not excite me, but one, 1 billion minds coming together and implementing true and tangible and real change. That that's a legacy right there. That's a legacy. That's real, man. I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. I'm coming. I got to see this. I got to be a part of this. This is incredible. Um, So guys, check it out. Um, Heroesandhorses.com. Is that the website? Dot org. I've been on it all day and I didn't want to say it wrong. And I did. Heroesandhorses.org. The film, you can watch 500 miles on the site itself. You can check it all out. You can see the the entire brochure. You can donate. You can be a part of it. Follow you're on uh, social medias as well. Yeah, we're on social media, Instagram at Heroes and Horses. Um, you can go on our Facebook as well. Follow us, share it. We've got a lot of incredible things. We've got our November sixteenth. If um, you want to jump in your car or get your airplane or whatever you want to do and come out here, we're doing a gala. We're releasing a new video called Uninterrupted Data. Um, we've got vets sharing their stories. We've got guys playing music that came through the program. We're going to raise money and we're going to, uh, it's, it's a night of change is what we're calling it. And, uh, uh, if you make that journey out here, I promise just that night, you're going to walk away a different person. Incredible. Incredible. Mike, I cannot thank you enough. Seriously. It's, it's hard to sound sincere on a microphone on a podcast. Cause that's what you're supposed to say. But truly I, I, I dig what you're doing, man. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, and it's not just veterans are not the only people that have that need to hear this and experience this type of living. Um, so, so thank you very much, man. All right. Thank you so much. Take yes, care. Bye. Bye. All right. That's it. Dude. Wasn't that good? Was that not unbelievable? Is that not what we have to be thinking about? And we've got to just, we've got to question how we're going about this life right now. Thank you as always 
to our engineer, our producer, our help me figure things out guy, Patrick Davis. Thank you to David Lessing, writer and performer of the Manchild podcast intro song. I know you love that. Uh, thank you for listening. Guys, have a great time. Have a great day. Squeeze the life out of every moment you have. It is a gift from God. Love your people. Love your family. Love your work. Work hard, man. Work really, really hard and enjoy it. All right? See ya.